I'm Tamara Miller, and I wanted to share a little bit just to encourage you in, in the scripture, specifically in Genesis 3. This is a passage of scripture that I'm often asked about as a Bible teacher from women, uh, just because it has a lot of unique aspects of it. And so um, I do make mention of Eve's story in Genesis 3 uh, in my book, Odd Moms Out, uh, during the study of Bathsheba. But it's important to kind of go back on this chapter and, and look at how it affects women specifically. We're living out a curse that is first mentioned in Genesis 3 um, as women that really does affect very personal um, pieces of our lives, especially if you're a woman that's married. Uh, Genesis 3 shows that because of the curse, you're going to struggle in marriage and that's just going to be a part of it. Or in motherhood, you're going to have suffering in motherhood and what does, what does that look like? And so it's encouraging to look at this passage of scripture, even though it is very difficult because this is also where God first makes mention of the redemptive plan through one of his um, descendants, which would be ultimately Jesus, God's son. And so I find it interesting that when you look at Genesis 3, it first begins in, in I will reference back to Genesis 1 and 2, but it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any one tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of your, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves long cloths. Now, the reason I read this section is because I find it very fascinating, and this is something that as women we have to be very aware of, is that the serpent approached uh, the woman first, even though the man was standing there. Um, you know, it, when you look back in Genesis 2, God had brought them together as husband and wife, as one flesh, and yet the serpent chose to go to the woman first. And the first thing we think is, well... Um, I don't know why that should be a big deal. Well, it first tells us that he's more crafty. He knows if you were to go back to Genesis chapter two, that God's one command given to man and woman about not eating from the one tree in the garden, the, the tree of the good and of, of knowledge of e good and evil um, was spoken to Adam. It was not spoken to Eve. It was uh, a, a command given to Adam before Eve technically had even been created, even though um, she was going to be his complimentary helper. And so that means that the husband was supposed to, there's an assumption, tell Eve the one command that was given. And you know she heard the command because she says most of it, but actually she adds to it and therefore making it incorrect. God never said anything about touching it. He said, don't eat it lest you die. And again, you'd have to, for time's sake, you'd have to go back to Genesis 2. But I also find it interesting that the enemy says, did God actually say? We forget that the enemy is wise enough to know the scriptures. Um, he, he actually speaks of, did God say and did God know? This conversation was all about God, what he said and what he knew. He's uh, in the serpents trying to figure out, does Eve really know what God said? Does Eve really know um, what is is the command and what this looks like? And what he does is is he he makes it where, hey, forget that 
all of in the garden, this whole perfect place, forget that you have access to everything. I'm going to focus on that one thing that you, is off limits. That's a boundary that God was allowed to give because he's God. It doesn't matter why God kept that off limits. And the other thing is that Adam and Eve had already been created in the likeness of God. They didn't need to know any more to make them like God. They, they'd already been created in the likeness. In the image of God, they were created. They'd been given the breath of life. They had a, a relationship with each other that was untainted and unadulterated and with God. And what's scary often about Genesis 3 is how personal the enemy gets. You're talking about a husband and wife and the privacy and personal nature of their home. And he is questioning how much they know what God actually said. He's questioning God's word. And I also find it interesting that I, I guess Eve could have turned to his, her husband and said, well, I don't know, husband. Is that what God actually said? But she didn't. Again, we don't know. I, I'm trying to sometimes put myself in her position and I don't, I don't know. And he could have said, hey, I don't know if that's exactly what God said. Let's go ask him. Let's go seek out his word. Job chapter one and two actually has a some similar situation. I can't go too far into that. And same thing. The enemy is having heyday with, with Job and the wife says, just curse God and die. And he said, you're acting like a foolish woman. We don't, we're, we're going to take good and we're going to take bad from God. But in the end, we're going to worship him because he's the one that's worthy. Again, they stayed married. Job and Mrs. Job stayed married and this or that. But he spoke up saying, no, 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 that's, we're not going to treat God that way. We're going to trust him in this. And this is just a, a piece of it that's very difficult because in Genesis 3, you've got, you've got really the makings of just a disastrous, tempting scenario. Temptation is not the sin. It's how you respond to the temptation. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have Matthew 3 and Luke 4 that actually, excuse me, Matthew 4 and Luke 4 that speaks of Jesus actually being led into the wilderness by the spirit after having the voice say, this is my son, my beloved son, and then being tempted in the desert by the enemy who, by the way, questioned Jesus about God's word. And Jesus used God's word to combat that temptation, to go back to the word of God. No, this is what the word says. This is what my father says. This is what I'm going to follow after. Um, and it's fascinating that the first temptation of Jesus was about food, just like this with Eve. It's about food. Again, she wasn't necessarily hungry. She had access to all of this food. But there was something there that was fascinating to her. Of, yeah, why? Why is God holding out? Why won't he let me have access? I, I think getting some extra knowledge would be a good thing. And we're still seeking extra knowledge and it hasn't always helped us. And we're not getting enough of God's word. And, you know, and even today, the enemy counts on God's people not knowing God's word well enough. We know God's word, but do we know it well enough? He knew that, that Eve knew enough of God and his word. But did he, did she know it well enough to know God actually said this? No, he didn't actually say this, but it was very subtle difference. It wasn't a flat out lie. It was the enemy was just enough of a distortion to say, mm, you know, you won't really die today. Um, you won't really do this today. It's not a big deal. And I mean, and that's exactly how it's happening today. And so I find it interesting when you look at, did God actually say, if you were to go back to Genesis 1, 
the phrase God said happens at least 10 times. God said this, God said this, God said this, all throughout creation, and then it happened. But when you jump to Genesis 2, it now starts saying, you know, the Lord God caused this, or he made this, or he formed this, and he planted this. And then you get to the the, the, the passage that says, um, and the Lord God commanded the man. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So again, the enemy obviously heard that command or he would not have approached Eve about that command. And so then it says, and the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Meanwhile, what happens, you know, if you keep reading through Genesis 3 is obviously the eyes are open. They both know more than they want to. And God comes into the picture again, very aware of everything, walking in the garden. And he asked the man the first question. You know, the enemy is the first person that's recorded in the scripture in Genesis 3 that asks a question. And he, and it is, is to cause doubt in the woman who was the first one to be deceived. And she influenced another person in her disobedience. And we can't deny that, that that's often sometimes what we struggle with. But then when God came to the man, he just, he's like, where, where are you? Where are you? Now, did God know where Adam was? Of course he did. He knew they were hiding among the trees. But it's to almost, to, to again, it's leading you into what would be a part of the, the word of God, which is repentance confessing that you know that what you did was wrong Conf agreeing with God that what you did was wrong and that's it's still the same question God seeking people where are you I'm looking for you um why are you hiding from me I have life I have abundant life I have the word of God for you and so then he it what what after after he learns what Adam says God asks another question a man who told you that you were naked and so same thing did God actually say, and now God's saying, who told you that? And that's the same question. I, I find that even as a mom, I'll say that when my, when I had, a, when my kids were younger, they'd say, they'd tell me some bizarre thing. And I'd be like, well, who told you that? I never said that. Or, um, and so that's the same thing. I didn't say that. I didn't tell you you were naked. Who told you that you were naked? We've got a problem here because you now have some understanding of something that I didn't tell you about according to God. And so that's when the blaming starts. Well, this woman you gave me, or, you know, this man you gave me, or the serpent deceived me and all this. But the Lord did say to the woman, the question he asked her, and this is sobering, what is this that you have done? What have you done? You've been deceived. You didn't actually know what I said. You led, um, you know, someone else into disobedience. Now, scriptures later, uh, throughout scripture, Adam is still culpable for his decision making. And the death came through Adam, hence why life comes through one man in the person of Jesus Christ. But how often that you say, what have you done? And so then it's interesting because the Lord God continues in Genesis 3 and he addresses the serpent. He never asked the serpent a question, but he addresses the serpent first for three-part curse. And you could go through that. And in that, that curse, that's when, when God announces, I've got a redemption plan and you're going to be... Um, the offspring is going to have hostility because sin creates hostility. It creates conflict. A wife was meant to be her husband's complimentary, but now she's almost hindering him, not helping him or harassing him. Um, it's not always that way, but there's going to be this war with the flesh. And, um, and so 
we get down and I kind of conclude with this, that the tough part about a woman, her curse does involve painful labor, whether it be in marriage, in, in those desires that are now contrary to her husband wanting to be control over him. Um, and yet he's going to rule over her again. You could go into a whole thing. It's just about a conflict of interest when actually they should have been ruling together equally. Um, and, and for the glory of God to, to have dominion over all the animals, including that serpent that reared its ugly head. But what would happen is if you head to Genesis four, he would definitely see how, Genesis 3, it would affect her as a mother when her firstborn son kills her secondborn son um, and had never even seen anybody kill another person, but had that sin crouching out his door that was going to create a problem. And so if you finish up with Genesis 3, you kind of end and you think, wow, they've been banished from the garden. But you think you can't get away from 3, um, 14 and 15, 16, all of those where God says, man, Sin has entered this world. The fall of man has happened, but I already have a redemptive plan by grace through faith that I'm going to enact. And it's going to be over thousands of generations, but I'm going to continue to, to encourage you to come back to me, back to my word. Know what I say, because there's an enemy out there that knows what I say and it's going to distort what I say. So you be prepared and be on guard with the word of God. Sound is Thank you.